0: Hello, this is Ruslan Malinowski. Hello,
1: this is Roman Yeremchuk.
0: Hello, I'm Sergei Rebro.
1: And you're listening to Ukraine Post (laughs)
0: Football.
2: Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of Ukrainian football. The Klesichny has taken place, we've all had our fun this weekend, and we're here tonight to discuss everything that's been going on in the wonderful world of Ukrainian football. As always, I'm with my two excellent hosts, Andrew and Ray. Andrew has finished his magical European adventure in Lviv, and... What was your take on the game today, mate?
0: Well, it was uh, expected. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I had Ray alongside me. Who I'm sure can add his own two pence. But on the whole, no surprises. I thought that Shakhtar would win comprehensively. Maybe it wasn't as comfortable as it possibly could have been, but it was as good as a classicner as you possibly could have one. Red card, uh, missed penalty lots of goals, and high-intensity game. I think both teams put in a bit of effort, Dinamo putting in a lesser of a performance. But on the whole, I think looking at it from, you know, just a completely sort of straight-on perspective of how the match went, uh, I don't think anyone can really have any complaints with how it ended. It's great that Ray was with you today
2: because his analytical skills will be top-notch on this game, mate. Where is it all going wrong
1: for Dinamo? Well, I would, I would like to look on, on the bright side, Adam, to start with. Uh, first of all, hello, everyone, and welcome back. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, well, the bright side was that I spotted uh, Nescheret, Dinamo keeper, and Vanat the day before in the streets of Lviv. They were going to the local supermarket chain, and this visit ended up really well for them. One of them saved the penalty, and the other scored the goal. So that's my analysis of the game. Well, that's great to hear. What did they get in the shops? Well, I didn't spy on them, but I think I should have asked Lucescu that on the post-match press conference, but he said that they would like to keep it all in the team. Uh, uh,
2: fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Is it that Lucescu is Lucescu losing the plot at the moment? There seems to be some random substitutions going on and all sorts of unusual things. This is probably one of the worst Dinamo teams that we've seen in many years, right? Uh,
1: I don't know. I think we should mention that uh, the, the subs were quite uh, obnoxious and chaotic because uh, when you sub three people on 60th minute, that means either way it uh, uh, goes well or goes extremely bad. And we've seen in the match that in um, Dynamo case, that was the first Case and with Shakhtar, slightly later on, it was the latter. So Shakhtar subbed most of the players in the end because they just could afford that. And Dynamo were just out of out of place, out of, out of their minds, out of their ideas. As uh, it, it, it definitely was not, as we witnessed before, it was, definitely was not their first case uh, this year. So I, I don't want to list the subs who came on you can just check the uh match events on google but uh, well or I- or you
0: can or you can check the match events of the last about four or five dynamo games because they're the exact same subs and uh, <laughs> we're we're not seeing any of the transfers that dynamo have made in the past few months uh samba diallo's returned obviously to the squad about two three weeks ago Kahim paris has been in the squad for at least four, five, six maybe weeks. And then Lonvike, I don't know, when was that? Like during the international break or something. So a good three, four weeks ago, almost. And Luchescu, in reply to a good friend of the pod, of uh, who asked him, why are these subs not playing? He essentially said, I look at them in training every day. They don't seem 100% ready. And this is a match that isn't ready for experimentation. Um, and... Once they are 100% ready, then I'll let them play. But it's like, what do they need to do to be 100% ready? And why is this not a match for experimentation in terms of the fact that you're 3-1 down and you're doing the same tactics or substitutes that you made versus a Wren a week ago, which we'll touch on a bit later, uh, that made zero impact there. And then you're bringing the same subs on when you're 2-1, 3-1 down, who also have similar... No impact.
2: Before we move on, can we give Mr. Lucescu a bit of credit here? He has managed to remember the substitutions that he's done in previous games. Now, at his age, that is a, an impressive feat. Well done, Mr.
1: Lucescu, for that. And to add up to that, Adam, he has a good eyesight and he has confirmed that. He sees Vike, Paris, and Diallo the, in the training. And coming back to the, if, if that is the worst team. Dynamo team in uh, ages. Uh, well, remember uh, with our predictions, which we are going to touch on uh, as well today, I think, uh, which we made before the season, I said that Dynamo is finishing bottom, and they are they are doing that. They're doing uh, they're finishing. <laughs> for now, after this match day, they're finishing at ninth place, which is the bottom of the table. The top of the table starts with position eight.
0: I I'd just like to add in there that Kabaev was subbed on, I think, in like the 60th minute or something. Actually, way before that. But he was subbed on, and then he was subbed off 10 minutes later, making no impact on the pitch. And he was subbed on off for Popov, because Popov obviously had to come on for Zabani, who was sent off. I've seen a bit of uh, some contemplation, questioning about the penalty. I mean, yeah, possibly you could say that... uh, Zabani wasn't the last man because Sirota was running in. But if you look at it like from a straight line perspective, I think Zabani was the last man. And on top of that, it sort of sadly um, shows a bit of a decline in Zabani this season. He's obviously not been playing to the highest level because of the players around him. Um, He's had a few spurts where he's been looking okay, But on the whole, you know, that red card just shows that in general, it's been a decline and when you're looking at the fact that obviously Spurs came in for him with 25 million bid in the summer that was rejected what on earth is going on with this club it's like complete mess and uh in the post-match press conference Ray even asked Lucescu, uh what were the Sorkis brothers uh doing in the dressing room what did they say to the team or to the to the players or whatever and Lucescu just said hey, we're keeping that to ourselves, um, everything sort of in-house kitchen. But I mean, this, the fact of the matter is they should have been going in there saying you're sacked and they're going to bring someone else in, in reality. But obviously that's not going to happen because they're going to have to end up paying compensation and all this other kind of stuff. And I think Lucchescu is very happy um, to pull out the excuse every single game that will play terrible in, which is every game, even though some games they win, he pulls out the, the old excuse. So oh, we're travelling every three days. We're not in one place. It's all very tiring and fatiguing on the players. We've got loads of injuries and all this other kind of stuff. But when you actually put it into context, Dnipro One currently playing pretty well. They're travelling every three days as well. Uh, Shakhtar, they got a point against Real Madrid. When have Dinamo got anywhere close to getting a point against anyone in the Champions League other than Ferenc Varos in recent years? Um, just a complete mess in general of a club. And honestly, uh, even if they sacked Lucheski or got rid of him and brought in someone like Kostjork, who's apparently been rumoured, I would actually feel sorry for Kostjuk to be going into that job because it's sort of like a, a kiss of death before you even start at the moment. Just everything is rotten with the club. Some of the players should be moving on as soon as possible. Uh, just to get a fresh perspective on their lives, maybe they can sort of re re-energize themselves, reshow themselves as a better player. For example, Zankov, he had a few cool like uh, attacks today, but then just the final end product just wasn't there or something like that. And you know, I think he doesn't care. He's in the last year of his contract and then he wants to move on to somewhere bigger. But I mean, if you can't perform in games like this or all season, what are you, what are people going to expect from you in a better league or something like that? Then well, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And yeah, it's a very sad state of affairs.
2: It really is. It really is. Um, but looking from the other side, on the positive and we've, we've got to talk about the Shakhtar team for a second. I mean, I saw you put a thing out on Twitter after the game. Is this the greatest team, Ukrainian team, full of Ukrainian nationals since the Lobronovsky teams of the late 90s?
1: That's a good one, Adam. Actually, when I when I saw this question first time, I, it kind of blew my mind because they mentioned Lobanovsky, Dynamo, 1999, and Shakhtar and Ukrainian in the same question, which uh, five years ago would have been <laughs> completely unacceptable. But in the grand scheme of things in these days, um, we are impressed. We definitely are with what Shakhtar is showing, but I just hope that um, this emotional aspect and of their... Um, Spirit wouldn't backfire. Because, you know, the way Yubicevic jumps on the sideline, you could just scare any uh, win, win back alive uh, yeah. unless some of his players can press him fast enough. So that's the other point, you know. And before and after the game, when Shakhtar scores, they run to the uh, coach, they celebrate together. That's exciting. How long could it last? That's the question. Uh, and that's probably what we should th- think about because apparently Dynamo in 1999 they had their bad, bad days sometimes and there was not much competition. Now there is. That's why we should be looking forward to Nipro One match first of all in November. One And I think we could come back to that matter then and one more time we could do when we could do that is the uh, winter break. Uh, right now as I said previously we are impressed. Yeah, we really are.
2: Back in August, we could see the signs of a a good Shakhtar team coming through. And yeah, Petriak and Subkov and the like coming back from Hungarian teams. But Subkov we saw in Euro 20 slash 21. You know, that first in the warm-ups and the first 10 minutes against Holland, always got talent. He has. And... The youngsters coming through, Modric being the sort of the headline name, but Sikan Sudakov, who is really highly thought of at Shakhtar, as our good friend, Ray. Andrei Burdian, has mentioned to me for many years about Sudakov being sort of top dog there. Our, bo- our boy as well, uh, Manchild, Ocheretko, coming through as well. And Andrew's top boy, Bondarenko, who I've got to give credit to as well, has really stood out this season in, this, in the squad as well. Future's good. Future looks very promising. And, yeah, for me, it was sort of a shoo-in. really was. I've been excited about him for a couple of years. But,
0: Andrew? It's been a very good uh, start to the season, obviously, for Shrekabad, uh, even with those few... I guess, scrapey wins that they had at the very start. But now, after that Real Madrid win, which I think we can sort of flow into um, going on... on uh, Not Real Madrid win. Real Madrid, Real Madrid draw. But um, it felt like a win, essentially. You know, getting it, it in that last-minute equaliser, pretty gutting, uh, I think, for everyone, and especially on the coefficient, which I think is the biggest thing that... Everyone needs to focus on this season with the likes of Turkey, Czech Republic, all these teams that you probably would have said are out of sight of Ukraine. I mean, below them in recent seasons are literally overtaking us. So we need to very much get behind Shekhtar in the Champions League anyway, because there is a very real chance that, for example, like Romania, we might not have another team for a good while yet. However, Uh, If we talk about that Real Madrid game, I was in Warsaw for it. I was in Madrid for, obviously, the the first game that Shakhtar lost narrowly in as well, albeit, yes, uh, Trubin and the bad finishing of uh, Real Madrid's forwards had a big impact on that too. On the whole, I think they're in quite a good position in the Champions League. I think they've got uh, Celtic coming up next week. And they need to win that, really. If they win that, then I think they can possibly get a draw against RB Leipzig in the final game, and second place will be confirmed. If they don't beat um, Celtic, then it's going to be another classic Ukrainian club uh, taking it down to the last game of the group (laughs) and having everything (laughs) to play for. We know the sort of pressures that come with that. Sometimes they don't end very well, or... They just end up getting ballsed up. OK, uh, yes, Shektar could and most likely will drop into the Europa League if they don't get that victory against RB Leipzig. But that won't be the biggest sort of problem because, yeah, they could make it far as long as they have that European spring. Sadly, of Dynamo, we can't say the same thing, which we'll touch on in a minute. But just as a whole, you know, at the end of this Klasic, at the end of their games when they are playing away, Uh, in Madrid and I think in Leipzig uh, when they were playing against Celtic, they literally, you know, they all get in that massive huddle and Jovitovic sort of gives them a little speech and someone else does some speaking. And you just see that there's a unity in the team. Uh, You see it also in sort of Jovitovic's speeches uh, in post-match press conferences where he's sort of integrated in Ukrainian society. Of course, one the biggest positive that he speaks Ukrainian Amongst about five other languages, which is like absolutely sensational for a footballer to begin with, you know, a former footballer, like he's massive intellect, a level is like sky high, massive respect for Ukraine, obviously he's Croatian, he understands everything to do with like wars from neighbours and all that kind of stuff. Um, He says all the right things. He's got a team that obviously is playing against all odds in the grand scheme of things, losing all their Brazilians. But if anything... This is like a much more sympathetic team to the average person in Ukraine now than, for example, Dynamo, who pride themselves on being the national side, a club side per se, for decades. Sadly, history doesn't cut it anymore. Um, you know, you can live on your history, but when your club is literally being run into the gutter by the owners, by the players, even not turning up, by the manager who is so detached from. You know, he doesn't give a shit about Ukraine in the grand scheme of things. Uh, he's said all those stupid things in the past. The Obviously, Dinamo Ultras despise him for his previous links to Shakhtar, but also some of the stupid things he's been saying in the past. He's just there for his paycheck. That's why, as well, he's not left of his own accord, because obviously there must be some sort of clause and compensation that's being paid. Obviously, the owners probably don't want to pay that. And we're sort of living in this kind of... Um, ever-present here-and-there scenario where no-one really wants to put the final knife in. And hey-ho, we'll see, see what happens in the coming weeks uh, and the coming months. But I probably don't see any change in Dynamo, sadly, until at least uh, the winter break. And looking at the fixture schedule, the season could well and truly be over for them by the winter break if they don't pick up some results. I've just seen a stat, uh, 12 games this season. Uh, nine losses for Dynamo Kiev, <laughs> and I think that's from like uh, all competitions, not not qualifying rounds included, kind of thing. So uh, that 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 says everything you need to know. That's
2: pathetic. Basically, that's pathetic. Um, I, but well, Andrew was in Krakow uh, after the Shakhtar game. As poor as today, or even worse?
0: You can say that Dynamo weren't that poor in the grand scheme of things today. They played all right in that first half. They weren't completely out of it. Obviously, nesturet saved that penalty, and then they got the early goal in the second half. But then Trekata came in with their usual one-minute reply after conceding, and it's a whole different ballgame. From a Dynamo perspective, against Wren, who in the second leg... Uh, pulled out literally a lot of their youth team or a lot of their youngsters and still sort of won one nil from a very blase corner routine where uh, Christopher Wu um, came in unmarked and just tapped in. It, you know, I was just sitting there talking to a few uh, media colleagues and we, really, we weren't really paying much attention to the game because it was that terrible. Like as in, like dynamo going forward next to no imagination and nothing going. I mean, this is just a slagging off podcast really today about dynamo Kiev, but I mean, there's nothing positive to say about them. If, if Luchescu had given a chance, for example, to someone like Diallo, who has been impressing in the youth league last season, who's been impressing for his uh, Senegal under twenties team or whatever, wherever he's winning uh, tournaments down in Africa, uh, at the start of this uh, season. Why is he not getting a chance? Why is Paris not getting a chance? Why is Lonvike not getting a chance? Tra- okay, Lonvike's not registered for the Europa League, but still, why is Kehim Paris not coming on? Why is Kabayev coming on, who's done nothing since signing? Um, and it's even weirder that, for, for whatever reason, uh, Kabaev was this sort of obsession that uh, Luchescu apparently was very uh, eager to sign uh, this season was it just to weaken uh, Zoria because they're sort of near rivals I doubt it because <laughs> I don't think a, a for, as far as I'm aware Kabayev did next to nothing for Zoria as well so that's why it's even more of a paradox for me why they signed him in the first place and I think they paid I don't know how much but I heard some rumours of like around 1 million euros or something or it was like a, a switcheroo where uh Kabayev moved and then a few players moved to Zoria you know the kind of uh, tech crazy deals that we see in the EPL and on the whole he's not really a coherent replacement for Benjamin Verbic and Benjamin Verbic was never that good anyway or he's not been good for the past 2 3 seasons so why not just give Sam a go oh what what's going to happen you're going to lose 2-0 instead of 1-0 wow uh, it's it's just it's just the paradox of uh, like oh, I'm too scared to for an experiment in. When boy, there's you're literally at rock bottom. You can't you probably can't get any further. Four losses in the Europa League in a row. Um, I think that's the first time that Dinamo have ever done that. And they've let's put it into context. They were top seed in this group. Top seed. <laughs> Can you even believe that? And they've lost to everyone, including AK Larnaca who aren't actually that bad. And for them to even make the uh, Conference League playoffs, they need to beat Lanarka by a better result than Lanarka beat them. And this match is going to be in Cyprus. So that's going to be hard as it is. And then the final game is going to be against Fenerbahce. I mean, I would not be surprised if Dinamo somehow came out of this campaign with zero wins and complete disaster oh wow they might have be able to focus on the second half of the season next year but in reality just if we put it all into context if Dinamo somehow don't finish in the top five who are they going to be attracting in terms of new players next season nobody and look at the kind of players that they attract anyway now Lonvite Paris uh, like okay they're not playing we are disgruntled by the fact we've not seen them play and maybe they are good players but still it's at a level that it's like what like where you even found these players compared to Shakhtar who are their main rivals who have brought in and had one of one of the best from the transfers to the results on the pitch sort of payback from the transfer that they've had you've seen Zubkov wow scored four games in a row now Twice mm-hmm. against Real Madrid, once against Dinamo, against Metalist as well. Marianne Fred had a good start to his campaign. He's been injured for the past few weeks, so he's not been playing. Uh, Petiak comes on. Not really anything special, but still, I think he probably would do a job anywhere else if he was starting. And, you know, Lucas Taylor's not been too bad, even though he's in and out of the side. Haile Chenko's a starter now at at, uh, at left-back for them he got two assists against Real Madrid in one in each game. So <laughs> the general consensus is like, and these players are literally, some of them are even ex-Dinamo, Mihailochenko. They let him go uh, to Anderlecht. Uh, and then, look, Shaftarov swept him up and look, he's bloody playing relatively okay. So <sighs> the general consensus is that Dynamo cave is a mess and uh, this season could really be Sort of this like kick up the backside, and sadly, under the circumstances, don't see it again any better anytime soon.
1: I just want to say that you know this new invention in Qatar—they're going to have sobering up tents near the stadium to send the fans to. I'm going to tell you that. Well, we've we probably heard already. We've seen witnessed this season that Anfield and Camp now are quite good sobering up tents this year because you know some stadiums can be those sobering up tents in terms of how your team is playing. In our case, in Ukraine, any stadium where Dynamo plays is a great sobering up tent.
2: Oh, it really is. I mean, the sad thing is, as well, as much as we try to remain neutral when it comes to the UPL, uh, their abject performances in Europe are really impacting on the, the cover fish. And it, 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 it came to something where we're cheering on raise unmentionable team's late winner against a team that is bottom of the second division in Switzerland in the conference league, just to scrape some points towards the coefficient because of how bad Dinamo have performed this year. I mean, Vados, the Nipro won, fake the Nipro, they won, but it really should have been more comfortable
0: yeah it's it's a weird it's weird because uh Dnipro one actually looked pretty coherent uh they've got some very good South American players, including obviously domingo blanco uh Busanello has been performing quite well faris baluli looks okay uh Hamash uh, for, uh the Algerian scored a worldie against Vaders. and all of these players have been playing really quite well for them other than Max wallef who yes, he had four clean sheets in a row in the Ukrainian Premier League, but that doesn't say much about him. It says more about the opposition forwards that he was playing against, that didn't score against him because he's absolutely terrible. Um, And if we're going to, you know, talk about T-Pro1 right now, uh, the impact of having those sort of foreign players is quite massive because we saw this weekend against Rourke, only two of those South Americans decided to travel to Lviv, because the rest were too scared to leave anywhere further than Ushakov. So um, we only had Gabriel, or oh, Jesus Gabriel, or something like that. He's like from the fourth tier of uh, Brazilian football on the bench, and uh, Max Walef in goal. Uh, the rest of them: Domingo Blanco, as I mentioned, Busanello, Hamash, uh, Ferraz Baluli. Um, few others that I've forgotten off the top of my head, they all stayed in, I think, Koshitsa, which, uh, where, Dynamo, where Dnipro won, uh, stay most of the time. So that's gonna be weird going forward, um, whether that's gonna continue. Obviously, they're probably a bit too scared to come into Ukraine. I mean, me and Ray have been in Lviv this weekend. There was one air raid this morning of, well, we're recording on uh, Sunday night after the Klasichne. There was an air raid for about an hour. Both matches that we saw, Dnipro 1 against Roox and the Klasichne, went without any sort of air raid. Um, So, I mean, on the whole, it was relatively safe. Like there is just obviously this sort of like scared thing that I think a lot of people understandably have. I don't know. In Lviv, for example, compared to the other, other areas of the country. Um but if we're just going to go to that Dinipro uh, one game, which was absolutely mental as well, and the Uruk ended the game with nine men they led twice, they went one nil up, then they went two one up, then Depro one pulled it back to two all and they won Dipro one somehow won three two uh in the 90 plus five uh minute, which following the final whistle ensured I think another iconic moment in Ukrainian football uh, a massive bloody kick in and fight between a uh, general director of Uruk who used to be the general director of FC Karpaty, or he was in the structure of FC Karpaty Lviv um, the addition against <laughs> Yevhen Krasnikov uh, the sporting director of Deep Pro 1 and Andriy Russo, who's like the general director of the pro one they all started scrapping on the pitch i think they were sort of this well a didish- tradition was not very happy with some of the refereeing decisions um and then everyone got involved i saw viv solomon getting involved um literally the, whoever took the video it was terrible at filming because we actually missed half of the action because like it was out of shot or whatever But. On the whole, it's like that is definitely going to be looked into by UAF uh, ethics committee, I think. And I think there might be some bans and things coming in. Maybe they might not be as much as people expect, but there should be some sort of uh, uh, disciplinary action because it happened literally on the pitch. It's not like it was in the change room or something afterwards.
2: Sorry, Um, Andrew. Breaking news. UAF has an ethics committee.
0: Of course, of course. um, Yes, they do. They don't do much, but um fingers crossed they might do something here. They also will be dealing with Zabani's red card and they'll be letting us know sort of how many match bans he'll be serving. Because as far as I'm aware, in like the Premier League, I thought if you get a straight red you get in the English Premier League, if you get straight red, it's a three-game ban. But in Ukraine, it's I think judged on the harshness of it, of your challenge, etc. etc. And it sort of gets worked out and you you come back within a week. One thing I want to add about, obviously, Dnipro 1, one key player, Artem Dovbik. Slow start to the season, but bloody heck. 13 goals in all competitions, including Zbirna. So playing quite well. And I think he's very much sort of motivated to get that move, possibly in the winter when it comes to it. Yeah,
2: fair play. A couple of things I want to chip in there is, one, these foreign guys, you signed a contract to play for Fate Dnipro this season in the UPL. What were you expecting to happen? Seriously, what were you expecting to happen? To go, oh, 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 I'm a bit scared now. No, you should have thought about that way before you agreed to come. Seriously, on, guys. I mean there's there's questions for our beloved ethics committee there as well about the, the fairness of the competition
1: in, in that game. Especially. That's what I want yes, yeah, sorry Adam. Just what I wanted oh. to say about the ethics committee. Like unless it's called KTK and it's a show on YouTube, it will fall under the jurisdiction of Bechersk County Court. Oh. Whatever, oh. whatever you name it. So and, and we know where, where that goes to. Oh,
2: Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, I guess fake the Nipro for me as well. It's a bit like Shakhtar for a lot of our listeners. When it comes to Europe, 15th place on the coefficient is got to be the target this season. And if they help Ukraine get there, then I'm happy for it because we know that at this stage, any money coming in is a huge benefit and... To have five teams and not four teams in Europe next, or in two seasons' time when it would kick in, uh, would be—I mean—it's worth over half a million euros for Ukrainian football. So I can suck it up and <laughs> accept a second or third place in the in the group for them. Andrew, I know you were down in Olszgorod for a few matches as well earlier this weekend. Ray, were, were you with him or were you just in with today?
1: That's confidential Adam. We skip that. We skip that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. I don't was want to
0: say where I was.
2: <laughs> Listeners, that stays in house, just like the Dynamo
0: dressing. Mm, yeah. Uh,
2: how was it down there, Andrew?
0: Yeah, it was fine. Um, a lengthy journey. The only reason I went to see Dynamo play Ren was that my journey to Oshirog took my, through Krakow. So, sort of went down through Krakow. Uh, a late bus following full time to Kosice in Slovakia, the second largest city. However, their bus station and train station closed between like midnight and three, 4 AM. So I had to walk around the old town and sit there. Luckily it wasn't raining. So uh, I survived, uh, made it to the train station, had a coffee, then got on my 5.45 bus Kosice to Užrod and got there uh, just about in time to make it for Minai versus Veres, which uh, was an interesting game. Uh, I was sat sort of right behind the dugout of uh, Volodymyr Sharan, And Minai Arena, for anyone who doesn't know, is very tiny. Um, it's in the middle of this village thing that is quite weirdly laid out. There's loads of mansions and all this other kind of stuff in and around. Uh Across the, across the pitch there is this, I guess, tarpaulin so that people can't watch and obviously it's sort of sponsors as well. So one person decided to get their van and sat on the roof of their van so you could see the tip of their van and he was just sitting there watching that game casually. It wasn't too bad of a game. Um, some exciting uh, moments, some enjoyable, in general, uh, football and lots of um, discontent from Volodymyr Sharan on the bench. He was just screaming at all his players, saying they're a bunch of rubbish. And he just turned around to his bench every time they misplaced the pass, saying, essentially, how can I work with these people? <laughs> um, it's slightly changed in the second half because Menai were playing a lot better in the end. No Seliznov in the team at all. Uh, I've heard some rumours that possibly he might not even be a Manai player anymore, but I guess we have to wait and see whether that's official from the actual club. Um, because he was playing in a charity match the day after uh, in uh, Volin, in Lutsk, and he also got very badly injured. So I'm sure that both of those things don't add up. You can't be a professional footballer for Minai and then somehow be playing in in a charity match the day after that's got nothing to do with anything uh, miles away mind you and on top of that getting injured uh it's just a shame i guess for well not a shame for most people because no not many people wanted so it's enough to break the record but for him to have only like five or six goals to break the record and somehow blow it is just sort of typical sell style really um also, whilst us in Uzgorod had the opportunity to actually see another quite good game, uh, Metalist versus Vorskla, which obviously 10 years ago would have been a bit of a mega match in the UPL. Maybe not mega match, but uh, Skripniks Vorskla still continuing to underperform this season, despite on paper looking pretty decent. You know, they've got some good established players in there, but Sula. Who played for Kortrijk recently? Vasil Kravets has returned from Spain to play the UPL. For God's sake, you've um, got all these like they've got a few Albanian strikers. And one of their wingers, this Albanian guy, I think, like he looked pretty lively. Um, but still, they they couldn't they couldn't keep out um, Predun, who looks like a bit of a talent as a centre-forward. I think he was playing like an Olympic or something last season or somewhere like that. They found him out of nowhere. He, he's a bit of a tank. He's a bit of a, got some pace on him and he can get goals. And Riznik did not show himself too well in that game. Had Not the best performance uh, from his perspective. And metalist, probably the surprise package, really. I think all of us were thinking that both Metalist sides wouldn't be doing that great this season, obviously, with Metalist and the Dipro Pro 1 stuff happening and Metalist 925, you know, not being anything special either. But both of them are getting victories um where it's needed in these early stages, against some surprise ones, even, you know. So it'll be an interesting see to see who finishes higher nowadays. I had bloody Metalist 925 tip for, like finishing next to bottom. So I'm sure they'll remind me of that. Um because their social media is actually quite full on, uh, but yeah, um, it, it's it's going to be a good fight between those two two metalist sides.
2: That's the end of the UPL this week, but that's just a tiny morsel of Ukrainian football. As all our listeners know, the real stuff happens in the PFL and the amateur leagues, and happily this year for me, Opelon is absolutely kicking ass on my right yeah you cannot be too
1: sure about that but wow in a in a in a match with uh, a um, a competitor a potential leader of the league we had even points and we won it we got plus three and that was a great game at uh, all aspects because the uh, player who scored the winning goal on the volley from the corner got injured after that, and he continued to play with blood on his face. So that's like proper football. You need to know in the city of Bucha, I might add. Uh, in other news, uh, karpaty drew Mariupol, which is quite big. Mariupol playing in Vishhorod, which is also Kyiv Oblast, even more northern Obolon as a part of Kiev, which is fun. But Mariupol is actually <laughs> two points uh, in under their belts and on the eighth position in the group, the last one. Uh, whilst Karpati have twice as much uh, points, eight times much points actually sixteen, and they are second, with epicenter with uh, on the third position with fourteen, and Niva with twelve. So it's quite narrow. You might add in, in the in the other group, which uh, is head which leader is le- led by Polisa, Shudomir, Still, they are six points ahead of Karpati. Overall, it's been a great uh, match day in both UPL and Persia. Um, unless we want to uh, mention that the other some of the matches were called off. So they're still going to be rescheduled and played afterwards. Some other matches uh, have been postponed earlier. So um, we still might see some teams getting their points uh, getting more points after that. So it's um, so far, we, I wouldn't say that it's a fantastic context and extravaganza of football, but it proves us that uh, the teams which we w- would like to see, as you already mentioned, Adam, are on top of their worlds. That's what we want to see. You're
2: right. Completely agree with you, and uh. <laughs> It's just great to see so much football being played. I saw pictures from the game in Butcher. And, yeah, this is what it's all about. I, was, I saw the iconic McDonald's uh, from a distance. All I thought of there was our good friend Phil Howden managing to line up the shot with the church behind it as well and thinking, Phil, we need you back in Kiev as soon as possible. But you know, there's been other footballing news this week as well. And uh, back oof, about a week ago, we had the draw for Euro 2024 qualification and group of death or not?
1: <laughs> right. The first thing I told you guys after the draw is that we're going to fight to death with Italy and England and we're going to scalp them at least once and we're going to bottle it with Malta and North Macedonia. And so rephrasing your words, Adam, I would say that it's a group of force. I've seen a lot of people say that.
0: I don't know, that they're they're seeing this general uh, group as, yeah, game over. Ukraine got to play through the playoffs which is possibility if Ukraine finished third uh, due to the Nations League and the way it works. Uh, the fact that Ukraine finished second, they have got a good chance that if the teams, the four teams that finish top of their Nations League B groups qualify automatically through, you know, finishing top two in the Euro qualification, then Ukraine have got a shot at the playoffs. Albeit, personally, I don't think Ukraine will need the playoffs. I think they'll finish in the top two. Um, There was a lot of hate and I guess doubt back when Ukraine were drawn with Portugal and Serbia in the last uh, Euro qualifying group. And where did Ukraine finish then? (laughs) At the end of the day they finished top. Okay, maybe we'll be going too far with that perspective because I think obviously Shrushchenko's side then was very special and obviously they've lost a bit since and some key players aren't as good as they used to be and all this other kind of stuff but in all honesty I think that Ukraine will finish in the top two we can come back to this clip or just remember it whenever it happens to anyone listening Um, and I'll be there to say I told you so
2: As I like to do with Shakhtar every time we discuss the league this year Uh, No, It was interesting, I read a interview with Petrov and he said the Wembley game is something that the the players will be looking forward to in particular and uh, the bond I think between the the national team has grown very strong this year and I think that will, will definitely take them to the next level Against Italy and England, and of course against North Macedonia and Malta, Ray's uh, predictions will hold strong. And uh, <laughs> playoffs, it may well be. Um, before we finish, there is. I want to come back to the classics. We're going a full circle tonight. Two things I want to discuss for you. Um, one, should Bonzel referee future classics? Given her. Ability to overly impact on games. Secondly, given the extra international interest in Ukraine this season, why the hell wasn't it sold overseas? Andrew, I'm going to come to you from the international media perspective.
0: Uh, Monzel, I don't really have any qualms about her. I think she's an okay referee. At the end of the day, there was VAR at the game. I don't think there was anything too controversial about any of her decisions. Maybe some 50-50s that could go either way, but nothing like, bloody hell, that was completely wrong. Uh, she shouldn't have done that. Yes, she's card happy, uh, as our friend score put on, on Twitter, uh, in 35% of her UPL games that she's ever ref,ed she's given a red card. That's over one in three games. Uh, well, one every three games. So uh, that's pretty mental, but that's just how she is. Um, we'll, we'll see if she is probably the main referee and the top referee. So she'll be given big games of the calibre, like the Now, Talking about the social media, uh, talking about the sort of broadcasting. Yeah, I think it's a complete mess. But sadly, I think that the whole the whole broadcast problem with Ukrainian football this season is such a mess that it's like not even, it wasn't even on anyone's priority. Obviously uh, we need to sort of touch on quickly that the Klasichner, this one was meant to be taking place in London. There was like serious talks uh, on the whole from uh, with West Ham. uh, But due to the fact that the queen died, then there was all this bureaucratic, you know, shut down that didn't turn up then there was real serious talks with Chelsea and Todd Bowley he really wanted the game to happen at Stamford Bridge uh, on the Sunday that Chelsea were playing away to Aston Villa Uh, however just to the fact that the organization and everything that got agreed with was too last minute I think it would have been a few weeks before the actual game there was like no time to market this game enough to maximise the amount of ticket sales and all that kind of thing. Well, probably to try and get a sellout, 40,000 Stamford Bridge. So that would have been too difficult. And also, QPR were were spoken to. Uh, I think that Shrek were using their contacts, trying to get Loftus Road, 15K. Uh, Apparently, QPR weren't too keen, though, because they said they had a few matches in a row there, like four games in 10 days or something, and were like listen, we can't really accommodate it. So that was a no-go. So yeah, at the start of this, this match was meant to be in the UK. And I think if it was in London, it would 100% have been broadcast somewhere on some sort of channel in the UK, like a, for a minimum. And there would have been a lot more interest in this game if it had been in London, because it'd be like, what the hell? Ukraine are playing in London. The Ukrainian. Clubs are playing in London. Wow. And that's why I'm actually, I think everyone's quite gutted that the the UPL wasn't given this sort of platform, but it's just the way that things and circumstances have worked out. Yeah, people are saying, oh, why didn't you play in Krakow or Warsaw? But I think in the grand scheme of things, it just probably wouldn't have been worth it because you probably wouldn't have got a sellout stadium, for example, like Real Madrid. Uh, at the Polish Army Stadium where Legia played for this match, it probably would have been, I don't know, 10, 15K, and it would just been like, whatever. Because, yeah, that that might give a bit of positivity to local Poles or Ukrainians, but I don't think it would have had that pull or just sort of how crazy it would have been to have it at a London ground, which would have just given loads of people who, even on Twitter, I've seen, yeah, I'd go to that, why not? you know, raise some money for charity and all that kind of stuff. Ended up being in Lviv, no fans, whatever, not on TV other than Satanta, only on Satanta. So people who have like Magogo in Ukraine that have got Satanta 1 and 2, it was only on sort of on-demand online uh, translation. I think very much to try and persuade people to try and buy at least a month subscription for Satanta and get themselves on board of it which apparently I've already heard a few people have did end up doing that so from a marketing perspective that worked out quite well it's just a shame that there is this mess with the telepool how it's going to go on in the future is sort of uncertain because uh now that there is a law in place it's been signed into law by zelensky that all clubs or any sporting entities have the rights to their own TV rights and for anything that they organise kind of thing. And whereas it was sort of controversial and against the law a few months ago, now it is the law. And there's not much we can do about it to change it, sadly. And on that positive note...
2: That brings us to the end this evening everyone. I mean, I hope you've enjoyed it all. Uh, maybe Dynamo fans turned off after about 10 minutes, but anybody else, hopefully you've stayed with us to the end. We've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Ray, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the classique today. I wish I was there with you.
1: I thought just I thought just the same, Adam. When I was sitting in this uh, in the stands of Aaron Live, yeah, it was an enjoyable day and an enjoyable uh, recording. Really appreciate that, and it's been a pleasure all around. And we are hoping for more. Oh, we definitely are. We definitely are. Andrew, are you going to
2: be up in Glasgow the next time
0: we speak? Absolutely. Hopefully for the last time in a long time because I am quite sick of Glasgow, as I am quite sick of Krakow. Um, but, yeah, uh, fingers crossed for some new locations in the near future, but um, more so some positive results in Europe for all Ukrainian sides, despite the fact I don't see much coming out of Dynamo Kiev.
2: And everyone at home, please pray for Andrew that he wins the lottery so we can afford the Celtic match ticket celtic we have noticed but until then everyone at home please take care stay safe slava ukraine you